Big transitions for these guys. Like I said, I knew a lot of them when they were this big. Now they're this big. Isn't that always terrifying, us older people, when they went from here to here? It's freaky. There's another one coming. He's like up here. But uh, uh, I just love just watching people grow up. And, and I, I'm so excited for our graduates to be completing their high school educations. But you know what they call graduation ceremonies, right? What do they call them? Not completions, but what? Commencements. Everybody knows what commencement means, right? means beginning. So when you get together with all these people in their robes and flat hats and stuff like that, um, you're not truly just celebrating what they've done. You're, you're pointing towards or celebrating the things that are beginning. Guys, I pray that you have a great beginning in school next year as you move forward in life. Uh, but uh, it's always uh, kind of neat to me that we celebrate graduates at this time of year because uh, it's also a, a period of the church's calendar, calendar that's uh, kind of built around a commencement. You may know what today is in the church's calendar. Starts with P, sounds like Wentecost. <laughs> Who got it? Anybody get it? <laughs> Pentecost. How'd you do that? That's so good. Pentecost. Uh, Historically, it was a Jewish feast of, of observation. It was a celebration of the, the wheat harvest that happened. It's called Pentecost. Anybody know what Pentecost means? Pentecost is, is simply 50th. Penta, five, right? It's 50th. It's 50 days after the Passover that the Jewish uh, relig religion has historically celebrated Pentecost, the 50th. 50th day. Uh, it, it was to commemorate the wheat harvest. It was uh, later on uh, to celebrate the giving of the law to Moses. It was a big deal in the Jewish faith. Uh, but uh, on Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, there was a new beginning. Anybody know what happened there on that Pentecost? Everybody look around. Us. We happened on that first Pentecost after the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The church was born. Someone like, I don't understand. The church was born. All the disciples hung out in this upper room. The Holy Spirit uh, came upon them. Uh, God uh, ministered to their hearts, empowered them to be able to walk downstairs and speak languages they did not know. They didn't even have Google. They, there was no Google Translate. Anyway, uh, uh, they just started talking languages that people around them uh, were like, how do these fishermen know how to speak my language? And a huge crowd gathered. Pete, uh, the, the, the lead disciple in this case, gets up and preaches the first gospel message. Anybody remember how many people came to know Jesus on that day? 3,000 souls. That's a good day at church. First day was a good day, right? And then they were off and running. And the rest of the story of the church in those early uh, years is in case for us in the book of Acts. But 2,000 years has basically gone by since that first church began. And here we are. What's up? It's good to have you. Now, we are uh, a continuance, uh, a representation of what God set in place there on that first day of the church. We have uh, been brought here by the grace of God through someone sharing with us the message of salvation. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was one of your pastors that you knew as you grew up in the church you were part of. Maybe it was a friend of yours from college or from work. But whatever the case, millions, if not billions of people throughout history have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So it's great that we celebrate graduations, commencement. Historically, the church has, in this season, been centered around uh, the celebration of its own commencement, Pentecost. 
I think kind of in, in the years that we're living in right now, and especially in this year that we're living in, we as a church here have kind of entered into a new phase of our existence. In the 17 years that I've been your pastor, uh, we've never had a season like we just had. Uh, first Sunday I was here, we shut down for a tornado, or tornado, that's in the Midwest. We call them hurricanes out here, yeah. Uh, we shut down for a hurricane. Uh, I did church the next week. That was my first week. The third week I was here, hurricane. We just kept shutting church down. I thought it was going to be an easy job. <laughs> but that was the last time that we, you know, basically not had services on the weekend. Uh, it was 2004 until March 2020. And then we had a lot of Sundays, weekends, that we were not hanging out together. Does anybody remember that? It's pretty soon, pretty recent. And lots of things changed. Some of you still hang out online with us. It's great to see you. Uh, a little over uh, half of us have, have returned, which, yay God for that. Uh, and, and as numbers continue to go down, right, and as COVID numbers uh, continue to wane, I, I, here in our country, I pray all, is everybody still praying that this thing completely ends? Yeah. But as, as these things kind of transition in right directions, we're, we're seeing more and more of us kind of return. But now, Tom and I, our executive pastor, we sit and talk sometimes, and we're just kind of marveling how this is kind of a reboot. It's not a complete start over, but in a lot of ways, we're kind of re-emerging in this regathering. And I thought, uh, in light of this, it'd probably be a good opportunity for us to be reminded of what our mission is. Now, our mission is is all over the book of Luke, as Luke tells the story of Jesus Christ. In Luke 15, if it gets kind of slow here and you just want to skip forward to some cool reading uh, here uh, as I preach, uh, Luke 15 has these great parables, these great stories that Jesus tells. And in Luke 15, he talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, all in succession. And he tells them all for the same reason. He's, he's talking to his followers and he's saying, hey guys, uh, here's the deal. What we're doing here is going to have a future um, implication. I'm not going to be with you always, at least not in the flesh, and I'm going to commission you, just like I told you when I met you that I'd make you fishers of men, I'm going to commission you to go out there and to go find those who are lost and bring them into the, the truth that you've found, the gospel that I've taught you. And so he talks about a shepherd who has 99 perfectly good sheep all hanging out in the same stable in the fold, but what does he do? He goes looking for the one. He talks about a woman who has these coins in her house, and she's got the other coins in place, but she's lost this one coin, and she flips her house upside down, sweeping and, and looking until she finds the other coin, and when she finds the coin, she invites all of her neighbors over for a coin-finding party, and they celebrate the lost coin being found. He tells a story of a father who allows his son to go off and waste his life in stupidity and waywardness. But he talks about how that father meets his son on the road home and receives him in. Jesus was stating a, a very clear message to his followers, to his church, or what would soon be his church. Hey, guys, it's about everybody else who isn't in here yet. Don't lose sight. Churches have historically lost sight of this mission, of the people who aren't yet in the fold. And so 
It's good that we get to talk about that. Now, there's a reason that churches lose sight of that, because churches are full of people who are racked by sin. Raise your hand in the air if you are sinners. Anybody in here? Now, I know we're saved by grace, and we're no longer sinners. We're saints. I get all that. But we still wrestle with the old man, don't we? And what the old man represents is this obsession with self. Anybody remember the garden? How did the snake get uh, Eve to, you know, jump off sides? Talked to her a lot about all the things that were going to benefit her. And when she saw that the fruit was good to eat and that it would make her, in essence, like God, when she believed that lie, she took of it and she ate, and her dumb husband let her do it and took a bite too. And in that moment, their eyes were open, the Bible said. Shame entered into existence. Shame is is simply a self-awareness, an understanding uh, that I'm not. And this self-awareness continues to plague humanity. Shame and guilt, part of that. But certainly this desire to comfort self, to provide for self, to make self the most important. It's the consequence of sin. We've taken, and sin, just so you know, sin is eyes off God. That's all sin is. In the garden, before sin, eyes on God. But once sin came in, eyes on self. On the waves, as Peter was hanging out with Jesus, he was fine as long as his eyes were on the Son of God, right? But then when he considered himself, took his eyes off his Savior, down he goes. Down goes Fraser, right? It's easy for us to be self-absorbed, even in the church, and that's why the scriptures teach us over and over again, eyes off of self, eyes back on God and those whom he loves. We talked about it last week. Anybody here during the Mind series? We talked about mastering our minds the last month or so. Anybody? Oh, good. Thanks for coming. Anyway, uh, we talked about the importance of, of, of you know, ridding ourselves of, of wrong thinking. Last week we talked about the, the church's need. Paul, Paul's writing to the Philippians. He says, you know what, you guys want to make my joy complete? You want to make me just over the moon? You, you want to you know, get an A on your church report card? He said, have one mind. Have the same mind. Function in unity in the mission that you've been given. He even gave us some really important um, tips the pathway, if you will, to how that unity can be achieved. He said this in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Get your eyes off of you. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We discussed last week how that verse 4 is just really just a few words in Greek. They repeat themselves, but it's just a few words in Greek. And if you just uh, translated that one verse in its literal English form, it would be this. Don't look me, look others. Don't look me, look others. It's a great mantra to walk through life with. Don't look me, look others. I held up a mirror last week and how uh, self is, is usually what we're most interested in as we walk through life. How does this affect me? How does this benefit me? You know, we're a, we're a selfie culture now. They put a camera on the front of a phone, and we could see ourselves in the actual screen. And, and so we just go around life. We can't take pictures of just something anymore. We've always got to be in it. Has anybody noticed this? Anybody here a photobomber? Love to photobomb. My niece uh, 
got married a year and a half ago and, and they had this photo, you know, set up for people to be able to take their pictures and get in the family or the wedding album. And, uh, and I just stood by the camera and waited until they said three and then I'd just step in front of it every time. It's just fun. It was a wedding. It was a party. We're having fun. But I just love doing that. But one of them made the actual wedding album. It's just like my huge face in front of the outs, you know, outlines of people. And, uh, and I thought, well, there it is. That's how most of humanity functions. What's meant to be a situation about others becomes all about me. And so God says, don't look me, look others. The word there for humility in the Greek, it's a tough one to say. I'm not going to make you repeat this one. But it's tape no fronsune. Tape no fronsune. Yeah, that's why I'm not making you say it. But it's this really interesting word. It just means to have a correct assessment of self. I love that. That's what humility means. It means not overdoing it and thinking more of yourself than you should, but it also means not underdoing it and seeing yourself as less than you should. It's understanding who we are in Christ, functioning in that, living for him, with him, unto him, in such a way that he can use us. In Luke 14 today, we're going to see Jesus go to a dinner party. He's going to actually uh, show up at this, this dinner, and he's just going to have some conversations. He's going to talk, first of all, to some Pharisees, and then he's going to move to talking to all the guests. Then he's going to have a brief conversation with the host. I'm going to walk through a bunch of verses. But these all point us towards the humble highway. Everybody say the humble highway. I was driving with Eleanor through Tampa on Friday night. We went down to the Riverwalk. It's so beautiful, especially this time of year. And uh, we took our little dog, Toby. Yes, we're that couple. And, uh, and uh, we, we hung out on the Riverwalk. We were driving back. Uh, we parked right by the pizza place that's across from the... You don't care. Anyway, we're driving back through t uh, town. And we got almost to channel side uh, in Ebor where you can catch 60. We live off of 60. She loves driving uh, down, you know, the not main roads. And so that's where we were headed. Until in front of me, this huge train appeared. Long line of cars, huge train. I'd never seen a train in Tampa. I've driven in Tampa a bunch of times. I know there's railroad tracks. I just never, I didn't think trains still go down there. But here was this train and it wasn't moving. Who loves that moment in life? Anybody like that? I'm in this long, I mean, I mean, I'm tired, I want to go home, it's late for us. And, uh, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't want to sit at this, and so I think I disobeyed the law. I'm just going to confess that right now. I, I didn't know I was disobeying it until, has anybody ever, they got these road dividers now, they're like, I don't know, six or eight inches high off the ground, and I felt that as I was pulling out of track, traffic and heading the other way. But I just wasn't going to sit in that line. There's a sermon about patience and stuff somewhere in there, but... Uh, uh, and Eleanor's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm fine in the highway. We're not sitting at this train. I'm fine in the highway. And so I did what most of us do in that situation. Well, most of us would probably say Siri, highway. But, uh, uh, but I just started looking for signs with the number four on it. That's, I wanted to get on I-4 because I knew that would take me to where I needed to go. There's this, there's this narrow road that leads to life the Bible describes it as. It, it, you gotta, you got to get off the road that leads to destruction. That sucker's wide. But you go on this narrow road that leads to life. It's the humble highway. It'll help you see things as God wants you to. On this humble highway that uh, Jesus describes here in Luke 14, we're going to see basically three main markers. 
and they require us to do some motions. So everybody real quick, stand up so we can do these motions. Everybody does them. Come on, come on. I know, I know, I know you're tired. It's just so hard. All right, uh, first one's this. Everybody point to people around you. I don't care which ones. Just point to people. The first thing that we're going to see on the humble highway is that it's people. Do it again. People over piety. Give me some pious looks. Piety, if you don't know what piety is, it's, it's uh, basically, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the quality of being religious or reverent or, or dutiful and devout. It's emphasizing the rules over relationships. And so if you want to do humility right, you've got to understand that it's people. One more time, do it with me. People over piety. The second thing that we learn is that we need to take the, everybody point to or, or just go down, like, like, you know, they do in the end zone when they score, they do this. We're doing the less chair over the best chair. Do Say it with me, ready? The less chair over the best chair. So what matters first? People over, nice, and the, over the, all right, one more. The last thing's this. Jesus is going to talk to uh, his host at dinner, and he's going to say, you know what? When you invite people, invite the outsiders. Everybody give me some outsider pointers, right? Uh, it's not just insider. It's outsiders. So it's outsiders and insiders. Do it again. Outsiders and insiders. One more time, just for the cameras. Here we go. If we're going to be on the humble highway, the first thing is it's all about people over it's all about the less chair over the best chair. And it's all about the and the. Have a seat. You did very well. Nice job. Value people over piety. Rules matter. Anybody agree? Otherwise, we don't have them. God gives us the rules so that we can emulate his character and live in the life in the harmony that he wants us to live with each other in. They matter. Don't hear this sermon being uh, me saying that rules don't matter. They do. But here's what we do. Us funky humans usually pile rules up on top of rules, standards, preferences on top of what God's word actually says. Has anybody notice this? So when I grew up, you were a sinner if your hair was too long. When I grew up, if you didn't wear uh, something other than denim, because denim is really just two letters off from devil, right? Uh... <laughs> You are somehow in sin. Some of the youngers are like, what are you talking about? As they scratch their long hair and pick at the holes in their jeans. But this is the thing. We take rules and we put rules on top of the rules. The Pharisees were famous for this. And they, they built a life around this, this faux obedience, this outward obedience, and they lost sight completely of the things that God wants to emphasize in their hearts, like mercy. And grace and love. Jesus, on a Sabbath, it says, verse 1, he goes to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, big chief. And they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had, what? How's your dropsy going? Anybody got some dropsy right now? We don't call it that anymore. There's probably a more medical term for it. But basically, dropsy, especially back in the days without antibiotics and with undetected cancers and stuff, dropsy was uh, the, the retention of fluid in the body. 
You'd basically, you know, just go all elephant man. You'd become deformed, and as your body sought to, to fight off whatever was infecting it, um, you, you, dropsy was one of the results of that sometimes. And so people would be these malformed, uh, you know, uh, representations of themselves. And so the, the, the chief of the Pharisees, this big wig in the Pharisees, invites this guy with dropsy to dinner. Anybody got a red flag on that? Anybody read the story of the Good Samaritan? These hyper-religious, pious people wanted nothing to do with the unclean. In the Jewish faith, if you were in the presence of someone who was unclean, you would become unclean yourself, and you have to go through all the rigmarole of being, you know, ritualistically cleansed. And so we have good reason to believe that this dropsy guy was not a friend of this Pharisee. He's actually just a plant. In fact, keep reading. He's uh, there because the Pharisees had hoped to catch Jesus in a misstep. Jesus senses this in verse 3. He says to the lawyers and the Pharisees, he says, hey, before they can like, uh, you know, trigger the trap, he says, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus had uh, dealt with this at least seven other times before this one. The most famous is probably when his disciples were walking along on a Sabbath day and they pulled grains from wheat stalks and started eating them like granola. You know what I'm talking about? And the Pharisees looked at him and said, look at that. On, on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to do any work. The Pharisees looked at him and said, look, at he's, he's breaking the laws of the Sabbath. And Jesus went through a whole bunch of stuff, but he culminates his little uh, explanation to them on the Sabbath by saying this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The rules were made for the sake of man, not man for the sake of the rules, would be another way of putting that. So Jesus asked these guys, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Apparently, they hadn't got the memo. Jesus has already covered this one seven times. He's like, you're not getting me with dropsy guy. It tells us in verse 4 that they remained silent. And then he, he took this man and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said this to them, hey, guys, you don't get it. He says to them, which one of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on a Sabbath day would not immediately put him out? This is a really interesting phrase. First of all, just so we're clear, there were allowances. The Mishnah, which is basically a commentary on the Torah, the laws, stated that if your wife went into labor on the Sabbath, you don't have to tell her not to have that baby on the Sabbath because it's work. Go ahead and have your child, all right? If, if the eighth day falls on the Sabbath and it's time for you to have your son or daughter, uh, according to the law, circumcised, not your daughter, sons get circumcised. How's it going? Wow. But you could go ahead and do that on the Sabbath. It was understood that if, if, if something was necessary on the Sabbath, you could do it. But these guys had just skipped past that. They'd made it a black and white hard law. So Jesus just cuts right to their hearts and he says, fellas, you brought Dropsy Guy here to try to trap me. But if Dropsy Guy was your own son who needed healing, none of you would have waited for a second to come to me and say, hey, would you heal my son? I know it's the Sabbath, but I love him. Would you provide for him? He even took it a step further. How many of you, if you had a cow who fell in a well, wouldn't help your cow out? Cows were the tractors of the Jewish farm. They were the, 
eventual, you know, food source of the family. I mean, th that would be unwise to allow a cow just to die. You've got to go f fetch it, right? But here's, here's how Jesus is kind of just poking the Pharisees. He's like, you guys, you do it for your sons. You do it for your cows, but you don't want me to do it for a man who has definite need. Here, here's the problem with the Pharisees. When they invited the guy with dropsy, they didn't care who he was. They didn't care what his problem was. He was just a pawn in their game. He was there for them. And before you say, yeah, those jerk Pharisees, uh-oh, isn't that us sometimes? People are here for us, or people are in the way of us. State Road 60. They aren't souls to us. They're hindrances. They aren't created in the image of God. They are created by God to bother us and to make our lives harder. And so we are justified in looking past them and not seeing them because in our hearts, we don't want to admit it, but we are prone to self-obsession. That's so why I love the parable of the Good Samaritan. The two guys that you would expect to be the heroes in the stories are the dirtbags. These, these higher-ups in the Jewish religion just walk around this man who is beaten and dying on the road. But this Samaritan, this dirty, scummy, half-breed Samaritan stops and gives aid. And Jesus tells his story and he's like, that's a neighbor. That's what God had in mind when he created us. Not this rigid observance of rules, but this willingness to cross the line for the sake of a fellow man. Are there people in your life that are just a measuring stick for you to either feel either better about yourself or worse? Is that how you see people? I see people in light of how they make me feel about me. That's wicked. You see people around you and think, they're here to serve me, as opposed to you understanding that God has put you on this earth to serve them. We need to value people over piety. We need to seek the less chair and not the best chair. He goes on and he tells this parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose, verse 7, the places of honor. So here's what was happening. They're at this feast, and, and there were certain chairs uh, closer to the host, better. Farther from the host, worse. There were certain chairs that were like, um, I'm going to be seen as more important if I sit here. And so there was like this musical chairs kind of thing. We had a staff meeting next door, and there's a bunch of couches in the, in the loft over there. And uh, there's a couple really big, soft orange chairs. And Jody Sauer... Uh, our very capable and excellent director of operations, uh, got set to sit down in one of those orange chairs. And David Prince, uh, our whiz-bang guy behind the, the tech stuff in here, comes up to her and says, oh, Jody, uh, just a second. Let me fix that for you. And everybody sitting in the room is like, he's going to totally juke her on this chair. Because that's what we do, right? Oh, there's something on there. <laughs> right? And that's what we do. Because it's the big orange soft chair. It's the one we want to sit in. David you get more credit, bro. He was just sliding it over so that she could be closer to the rest of the group. He was exhibiting what Jesus is about to teach. 
when he says this to the guests who are duking out for the chairs. He basically says, hey, don't look for the best seat. Don't look for the seat that's going to reflect best on you. Don't look for the seat that makes you comfortable. Everybody hands in the air. How many of you? No, oh, sorry. I should give you the qualifier first. Thank you for your obedience, though. That was really quick, some of you. If you're sitting in the chair that you always sit in at church, put your hand in the air right now. How's it going? I know you are. I stand up here and look at you every week. It's just, you know, oh, chair. You're sitting there because the air conditioner's not hitting you. You're sitting there because it's too loud up front or it's not loud enough out back. You're sitting there because you're closest to the exit and if anything goes wrong, you can get out first. Everybody's got their spot. Who of you who sit in your chairs every week have ever come up to your spot and there's been someone in it? Oh, come on! Can you feel the old man welling up inside of you? How dare they? That is my row. My family's been sitting here since the beginning of time. And it's like painful for you to go back one row or forward one row or across the aisle. It's like, this is not right. We're too hard sometimes on the people in our scriptures. I'd never do that. We do it all the time. So Jesus sees all these jockeyings for position, and he tells this parable. Verse 8, it says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, which was like top shelf festivity, he says, when you, when you go to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you uh, be invited by your host, and your host uh, who invited you both will come and say to you, hey, bro, wrong chair. Give your place to this person, then you will begin uh, with shame to take the place that was allotted to you, the lower place. He says, but when you are invited, don't go straight to the best seat. Go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes to you, he may say to you, friend, that's the wrong chair. Let me move you up a little bit higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This was one of Jesus' favorite cap lines. He loved to say, the, the last shall be first. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He had to say that because we live in a world where everybody uh, is prone to making themselves the most important, to being the guy who sneaks down at the baseball game to get the better seat. Anybody ever been that guy? I'd probably sit right behind the catcher if I'm really fast. Anybody ever been the guy that's sitting in that seat, though, and the usher comes down, and he's standing at the end of your row, and you're just like, not me, not mine, not, no, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. And he says, sir, can I see your tickets? <sighs> sir, that's section 340. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you got like bad reading or eyeglass, you know, but, but this is section 110, 340's up there, and the guy who's looking at you, and you're, you know, you're in his seats, he's just like, seriously, bro, you were going to try that? Of course I was. My baseball game experience is all about me. I want to be as close as I can, have as much fun as I can. 
Those chairs are cushy. Jesus says, no, it's not about you. It's not about the best seat. It's about the least. It's not about going first. We've been called to live the after you life. Focused on God, submitting and serving others. I got a challenge for you next week when you come. How many people are parked in the same parking spot you park in? Anybody? Yeah, I know you are. Just as a matter of exercise, park in a different spot. In fact, park the farthest you can from this building. Have fun. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Well, I'll have to walk for 30 seconds in the hot sunshine. You won't melt. Come in here next week. I'm going to be watching. Sit in a different chair. Oh, no, Mark, that's your messing now. You can't do that to me. Sure I can. Here's why. There's nothing magical about your chair. And if you get too comfortable feeling like this is my chair, that's a toe in the door of selfishness. I'm not, it's not sin. You're not sinful if you're sitting in the wrong chair. But we should be in this, this practice, this mindset of, hey, it's not about me here. In fact, church, just so you know, is not about you. It's not about me. It's about everybody else that you see and you being used of God in their lives to encourage them, comfort them, and, uh, you know, point them to Jesus, move them forward. When was the last time, just so you know, I love that we have all these great relationships, life groups, you know, long time, you know, friends, family for years, just hanging out in our church, it's great. When was the last time you met someone new here at our church? When you like, you know, saw someone walking through and just said, I don't know that person. Hi, my name's your name. I get to do that all the time because I wear the mic. And they all recognize me and they're all like, hey. But the rest of us, we can just kind of go covert, find our people, see our people, go home. We read this book recently in our staff. Uh, It's called Becoming a Welcoming Church. Thankfully, just listen to me, thankfully, I've always sensed that we are a welcoming church. Grateful for that. But could we be better at being a welcoming church? Absolutely. It details in one of these chapters the reports from 10 visitors who have gone to churches and why they didn't go back. Things like, uh, you know, people wouldn't talk to us. Uh, we, we, we passed through the doors and, and, and even the hellos we got seemed obligatory. We went for months and never met somebody else. Now listen, if you're a visitor here, be friendly yourself, please, right? Be open to talking to folks. But if you're from us, if you're family, it's, well, that's the next thing. Don't just look for insiders, look for outsiders. Don't just look at, at the ones that are already here, look for the ones who are not part of us yet, who, who haven't met Jesus yet. Look what he says in verse 12. He says uh, that Jesus said also to a man, the, the host who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you get repaid. What he's basically saying there is that sometimes we invite people so that they'll invite us. Sometimes, anybody ever read this conversation? We give compliments to people so that they'll compliment us. Sometimes we ask people how they're doing so that they'll ask how we're doing. I'm not going to litigate every one of these cases. But often we have relationships 
and, and deep inside of us, those relationships are really more about us and what we receive from those relationships than they are about the one that we're in the relationship with. Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, when you give a feast, invite the least of these, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the guy with the dropsy. Invite those guys. And when you do, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Anybody see the Bama seat and Tom and the rest of our amazing people portrayed for us what's going to happen at the end of time? The Bible says there'll be a first judgment, and that's the one where people who have faith in Jesus Christ pass on to eternal life with him, and those who do not, do not. They go to another place. But those who are in Christ go to a second judgment seat. It's called the Bema seat, the white throne judgment. It's where, it's where uh, the, 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 the works of the believers are assessed and commended so that we can then take the crowns, the, the honors that God gives us, and place them back at his feet because he is the purveyor of all the good that comes through us. Somebody say amen. He says, you know what? If you go out there and you're a friend to outsiders... Not just to insiders, don't get me wrong, the Bible says to have deep relationships, fellowship all over the place. Have friendships in the body of Christ. We are commanded to do that, but we are commanded to do more than that. To be available to those who are not yet a part of us. I'm not gonna go down the rows, but I'm guessing there's plenty of people here who showed up at church one week on the arm of a friend and then met another Christian who wasn't a dirtbag, who completely, you know, uh, blew away their, their picture of what Christians were, met another one, met another one, and that is their story of how they found Jesus Christ and faith in him. People loved them, met them where they were, took time for them. So as we close this morning, let's remember to be open to meeting people here at our church. Being a, a, aware that it's not about us when we come in here. Certainly God's gonna work in us and meet us and comfort us, but, but we need to have this eye on the outsiders, those that we can love. We need to be people who bring others to church. I talked to you about the car show at the beginning of our, of our sermon time. That's a great opportunity for you if you have a friend who you know likes cars to be able to say to them, hey man, you want to go walk around for an hour at my church? There's going to be a bunch of cars there. Uh, they just might say yes. It just might be a chance for you to talk to them about your faith, about your church, about the, the things of their lives. We don't do car shows and craft shows and fall festivals for the cars and the crafts and the candy. We do it for the people. Because God loves people and he wants to see people join him in eternity and we're his agents in that transaction. He works through us. He chose it that way. As I uh, close, th this is a row on a Southwest flight. Anybody ever been on Southwest before? It's open seating. You can actually pay more to get a preferred seating opportunity. And usually when people go in, if this is the exit row, that's the best one. Oh, let me find a window seat by the exit row. And this, this is what they do a lot of times. They'll just pray that no one else sees this row. No one else, I don't want to sit next to anyone. I don't want anybody there. I want my own couch. I just want to have a great flight here in the exit row. Pay extra to get there. What if Jesus flew southwest? 
You know what Jesus would do? Wait till everybody else got on. Or maybe, you know, they saw that he was the son of God and they let him go first. You know what he'd do? Right here in the middle. Hey, a couple more people are going to come and sit right next to me. And I'm going to have three hours to Dallas to tell them about me. Ha, ha, ha. That's what Jesus would do. I'm not saying you've got to plop down in the middle of someone's row. <laughs> but I'm saying you should have the mentality that I'm not on this plane for me and my comfort so that no one would bother me so that I can get what I want out of this flight. This life that we've been given has been given us by a God who didn't just give us life once, he gave us life again, anew in Christ. And he's called us in Christ to be his agents of his love, to be aware that it's people over piety, that it's last seats, not best seats, that it's outsiders and insiders. I'm grateful for the ways that God is using us already in those regards, but I pray that we are a church that when people come here, they sense the love of our Savior and it draws them into faith in him as we seek to love them and reach them where they are. Will you stand with me as we close? Lord, thanks for a chance to celebrate, you know, the graduates that came up earlier in the service and for the commencement that's happening in their lives as we commence again as your church and in this season where, you know, uh, the effects of the pandemic are are on the wane and, and we're able to gather again. Bring us all together. Uh, lead us back to, you know, hanging out and, and, and being a, a fellowship together uh, here in person as much as possible. But regardless of it, whether we hang out online or we hang out in this room, help us to always be aware of the other people in our lives. May we see them as more than just uh, servants to us, as, as, as measuring sticks for us. May we see them as the souls that they are and would you use us, God, in their lives to draw them closer to you, to faith in you, to life with you. If, if they're brothers and sisters already in Christ, may you use us in each other's lives to, to spur us on towards love and good deeds. May we be others-centric with you as our first focus. Give us that heart, God, I pray. Thanks for the opportunities we've had so far. Give us more. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next time.